0: Episode 2 of The Strange and Deadly Show. My name's Tom Elliott.
1: And my name is Chris Clayton.
0: Chris, how are you?
1: I'm very well, thank you, old Bean. How are you doing?
0: Yeah, I'm not too bad, I'm not too bad. Good to be back. We've uh, we've had episode 1 out there for a little bit now and we've, uh, we've got some good feedback off people. How's it been for you?
1: It's been nice, you know. Uh, it was quite worrying to me, having not done anything really in the podcasting field for about five or six years so it was nice to, to get the first one done to listen back to it to finish it and to hear back from a couple of people that we sent it to and of course by the time this one comes out a whole load of you will have heard the first one and you'll be getting ready for this and uh, the the feedback has been has been really really good so i'm i'm very very happy
0: just a reminder to everyone of what actually we're doing here we uh, our mission statement for the moment is that we are reviewing each and every one of what they call the Section 3 films, the films that didn't quite make the Video Nasties list but would often be seized and and destroyed but didn't actually get prosecuted in the same way as the Video Nasties. And it's a list of 82 films, quite diverse, which I think is what I like about it. There's a lot of different things on there and I think this week really illustrates that.
1: Tom, do you think the reason why those films are featured on the section three list is because they're really really shit
0: there's a good possibility <laughs> <laughs> with the film we watched last week that it might be absolutely right there the Coppers went into the shops and picked it up and said I'm having this
1: yeah I mean I, I really love that as well that it's such a diverse list of films that it's and there, there are quite a few on there that I think both are, both you and I are fans of and a whole bunch that we've never seen before
0: last time. Uh, on the podcast, two weeks ago for most listeners, because it is a two-weekly podcast. Uh, we hit a bit of a rough spot with White Cannibal Queen, mm. or Cannibals, as it's known uh, in the UK. But I think things will hopefully be looking up this week. So what have we got planned this week, Chris?
1: After White Cannibal Queen, after the experience we had, absolutely dreadful. If you've not heard that episode, go back and listen to it, because it is it's a corker. It really is. White Cannibal Queen, Jess Franco. But for this week, we decided we do a sort of thematic thing. We don't always do it, but at the moment, we're we're pairing two films with a specific theme. And for this episode, we thought, why not pair pair up two David Cronenberg films? Of course, one of the great masters of horror. And that's what we're going to be doing on this episode, is talking about two David Cronenberg classics.
0: I wouldn't say I'm an uber-Cronenberg fan, because I haven't seen all of his work, but I think... If you like cinema, you can't help but be interested in David Cronenberg and see what he's got to do.
1: One of the things I love about him and his work is that it's quite cerebral and intelligent. And I've always felt with Cronenberg that he's not... Unlike, say, Sean Cunningham or someone like that, or Wes Craven, who are you know, good directors in their own right. I mean, I, you know, you and I both love the Friday the 13th films yeah. and Nightmare on Elm Street. But I feel like those directors... They've, the films that they made, some of the most famous films, they, they were made because they were, I suppose, kind of riding a, a particular train, a particular wave, which was the slasher trend. And I've always felt that, that they sort of made films for teenagers. You know, as we have grown up, they've crossed over. But I feel like David Cronenberg has always made films for grown ups Do you know what I mean?
0: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Again, you know, we're, we're going back to quite early in his career here. And same way when we talked about Cannibal, you could see Ruggiero Diodato building up his sort of uh, cinematic vocabulary. And it's the same here when you look at these films that we're going to be talking about today. It's Cronenberg learning his craft, getting his stuff together. And now he makes things like, uh, what was the Vigo Mortis one? History of Violence. Mm -hmm. Great film. Uh, I loved his film Spider.
1: One of his more recent films, I really loved Eastern Promises which was like mm. a Russian gangster movie uh, completely. I mean, we'll probably get into it later on, but completely different from what he was doing early on. I should say that the films that we're going to be talking about uh, in this episode are uh, *Rabbit* and scanners, both uh, two fairly early films, both films that, that I've seen before. Tom, you'd seen Rabbit, but you hadn't seen Scanners before, is that right?
0: That's right, that's right. Always known of it, but never got round to seeing it.
1: Can't wait to hear what your opinion is on that one. As far as yeah other examples there, you were asking me what I'm into. I guess it's not a film that's talked about very much, but there was one that he made called Existence.
0: Oh, yeah. Which
1: again plays with the body horror. Now, at that point, he's sort of moving away from that a bit, uh, but still making really, really intelligent movies, and that's... Ultimately, I love a director, I mean, look, I love directors who are really bad, who make bad movies, don't get me wrong, I'm not a hipster about it, but... I do like a smart director. It's one of the reasons why I really like Christopher Nolan, for example. Yeah. And it's it's the same with David Cronenberg. I still feel like he makes really smart movies.
0: So uh, I guess a good way to start is let's have a bit of background on him.
1: Mm-hmm, absolutely. Well, he was born in Toronto, Canada in 1943. He uh, moved into filmmaking in the mid-60s. His earliest work was comprised primarily of TV movies, shorts, and episodes of TV shows. But it wasn't until 1975's Shivers... Uh, that the king of body horror officially set off on his journey as one of the great masters of the genre. He followed Shivers with Rabid in 1977 and then proceeded to make a a number of interesting cerebral sci-fi horror movies. Uh, Mainstream success found him with his widely acclaimed remake of The Fly in 1986 with the brilliant Jeff Goldblum. And uh, and he has uh, continued making challenging films up till today. Uh, once known for exploring the twisting and turning of human flesh he has in recent years moved into different genres and his horror work has for the most part been left behind uh, with films like a history of violence and eastern promises offering up a a very different side of a very unique director his frequent collaborations with actor vigo mortensen have helped to shape both men and their careers into uh, something else entirely.
0: Well, let's uh, let's kick off then by looking at that second film, uh, which is Rabbid from 1977, both written and directed by Cronenberg, and Rabbit tells a story of Rose played by Marilyn Chambers, a young woman who is badly injured in a motorcycle accident at the beginning of the film. Rendered comatose, she's rushed to the clinic of Dr. Dan Kelloyd played by Howard Reichpan, is that how you say it?
1: I think so, yeah.
0: A plastic surgeon who has been experimenting with morphogenic skin tissue. Faced with little choice, Dr. Kelloid grafts the experimental tissue onto Rose's injuries and a month passes while he and his medical team await signs of any improvement. Sure enough, Rose's skin tissue begins to heal rapidly and she soon awakes from her coma. But unbeknownst to the doctor or anyone else, a mysterious orifice has opened in her armpit that houses a strange parasitic stinger. Her thirst for blood gradually grows and grows, and the hunger is sated by piercing anyone she can find to get close to. As her vampiric tendencies grow, an even bigger threat emerges from her actions, every victim she is bitten becomes infected and violent, turning rabid and wild and spreading the infection to anyone they should happen to bite. Rose escapes from the hospital, unaware of the madness that begins to hit the streets as more and more people become infected. Only Hart Reed, played by Frank Moore, her boyfriend who survived the motorcycle accident, can put the pieces together as he searches helplessly for Rose amidst the city now rife with chaos and a growing pile of bodies. (laughs) Yeah, she's sweet. Take it easy. You need that juice, sweetie. It's keeping you alive. What are you... What are you doing? Are we... Are we all right? I'm not Hart, Rosie. Hart's back in Montreal waiting Uh... for you. I'm Lloyd. I'm a friend of yours. Hart? Hart's back in Montreal waiting for you.
1: Well... I guess... I guess
0: I was dreaming. I don't think you were just dreaming. You and Hart were in a really spectacular motorcycle crash.
1: Crash?
0: Yes. you're bleeding right now, I'd better get Dr. Kelly. Oh,
1: no, 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 don't go. I'm all right, really. I'm freezing cold. Oh, you're so warm. Uh, Look, I better... Hold me. Please. I'm
0: dying of the cold. Oh, God, that feels so... Uh, look, uh, you don't even know where you are, do you? Oh, God. Uh, look, this is really weird. Uh, are you sure you know what you're ah? Yeah, I
1: I think, I think I cut myself for I, I, ah. something. a knife or something in there with oh. You like a mysterious orifice, don't you, mate? Who doesn't? Yeah. By the way, it's not Howard Rishpan, it's Howard Dustpan. Shall I shall I carry on? Yes, please do. <laughs> yes. Rabbit. Uh, I ha- I've seen this film before. I have to say, I think it's it's a solid film. I think it's rough around the edges. It's you can tell that that when Cronenberg made it, he didn't have a lot of money to play with. But that's okay. Some of the the better independent movies. You don't need a lot of money as long as you use the money you have quite creatively. I think he does that here. It, it's a it's a solid watch. I'm not gonna. I don't think it's great. I I think it's, but I think it plays with some interesting ideas, and that's something that Cronenberg would continue to do. He did it in Shivers. I, have you seen Shivers?
0: A uh, long time ago. Don't really remember it too well. I remember how it ends. Is that the one that ends in the swimming pool? I think so. Yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah. I think so. But I'm i I haven't seen that for a very... It actually came with my copy of Rabbit. It came in like a double pack. I and I remember more from Rabbit than I do from Shivers. But I, what I do definitely remember about Shivers is that it. these two films, they kind of work together because they explore similar themes. Mm. Very much... A lot of Cronenberg's early work was about exploring the idea of, of sexuality, but infusing it with this incredibly dark... the, the horrific idea of something that is underneath your skin and can yeah. protrude from it and that's exactly what what Rabbit does
0: i think i'm of a similar mind that it is a it is a solid watch i do have a couple of issues not, not so much issues but uh observations that i guess we'll we'll get to as we go along but yeah it's a it's a solid watch it's um it shares dna with it, it reminds me of let's talk about 28 days later you know it's sort of a zombie film that isn't quite a zombie film Mm. you know it's like if someone tries to say well zombies aren't really that plausible so let's think of a more plausible reason for the zombies to exist now i'm not quite sure how plausible this is in its uh, in the way they present how the epidemic starts and we will talk about that but a, a sort of rabid disease is you know a bit more believable than a zombie
1: to to get into the into the, the meat of it as you were saying in the plot summary there so you've got rose played by marilyn chambers she as a result of the the skin grafts that they've done and the tissue that they've replaced she has this sort of phallic stinger that protrudes from underneath her armpit and you only really see that you see that that she has this kind of it it, to be. it looks like a vagina Mm. and i think that's what he was going for because that's the sort of guy that david Cronenberg is you know he was sort of very much trying to you know those are the 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 sexual undertones they're there and it very much looks like a vagina and there's some sort of parasite underneath there they yeah. never, there's there's no specific explanation as to why that stinger, you know, I guess, feeding upon somebody. Because it, it, you were mentioning a zombie movie there, and I, I agree that, that that's very much in there. But also, there's something quite vampiric about the character, I think, and yeah. about the stinger and what it does. The fact that she, once she, she wakes up from the coma, and she, she pretty much attacks a guy almost immediately she now finds that because there are a couple of scenes in there where she tries to eat normal food and she throws Mm. up immediately and she realizes i guess or i don't even know if she's really that cognizant of it of what's happening to her but she just seems to know that she needs to feed and she does it through this stinger but like i said there's no there's no specific explanation about exactly why the stinger first of all what it actually does and second of all why it causes her victims to then you know they sort of fall unconscious and then get up and now all of a sudden they're rabid and they need to attack other people there's no specific explanation is there
0: i do kind of go with the movie and what what it's trying to do but when i sat and thought about it it's a special solution that they soak correct me if i'm getting this wrong but the solution is Let's say you take skin from a certain area of the body. Yeah. You put it in this solution, then you can use it on any other part of the body. So you could take skin off someone's leg and put it on their face, and this solution will make it adapt. Is that right?
1: That seems to be what it is, yeah. I mean, I don't think he's playing with any great (laughs) great logical, viable science.
0: But, okay, so I'll get that. I understand that. That's what he's doing. It's just the growth of this this strange little opening with its sort of tiny phallic uh, parasite popping out. The connection between the two just isn't there. The two things, it, if you think about it too much, it's like, well, it doesn't really make any sense at all.
1: I think you're just upset because you want one, mate. And uh, <laughs> there's no doctor, what's his name, Dr. Kelloid around for you to get one. But I could put you on a motorbike and sort of push you into a river or something.
0: Well, we'll give that a try.
1: Epis- episode three?
0: Episode three. Excellent. That's
1: uh... We're going live, guys. We're going to record on the scene. But uh, no, seriously, I I understand what you're saying. There's no sort of communication between whatever it is and her. We There's no, again, no explanation as to why this thing happens to communicate with her and what it tells her and how it affects her mind. There doesn't. There really doesn't seem to be any explanation there. Having said that, there's no explanation in Night of the Living Dead really as to why the dead are coming back to life. So it's one of those things that I think I can let go perhaps a little bit easier than you in the sense that there's a little bit of mystery shrouding it, but also I think sometimes mystery can work very well in a horror movie. Yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, it's not a deal breaker for me. I, I can... I pause for thought, I think, and then I just go with it. But it's interesting that there's a short ten minute uh, chat with Cronenberger on the DVD about it, and he says... Uh, and he, he pretty much explains that, that part of the plot. So, you know, they develop this stuff, and she gets this thing on his shoulder. And he even said sounds ridiculous as i'm saying it now and he said back when he was making it there was a point on the set where he just kind of had a moment of clarity when he said this absolutely makes no fucking sense (laughs) you know (laughs) and uh, and he, he said to the producer or whoever was close by this just doesn't make any sense. It's not going to work. And whoever it was said, no, just go with it. It's it's going to be fine. And so he did, and it was okay.
1: That's right. I I, I watched that too, actually. And I, I've kind of feel like if Cronenberg can excuse it, I can too. On on that particular point. Now I have to say, know, yeah, moving forward, going through the plot. I mean, how do you feel that it? I personally feel that it, you know, dragged a bit at the beginning. But once Rose escapes from the hospital, I thought the pace of it was kind of. I thought it moved along quite swiftly.
0: I'm of a different mind, I think. I think the beginning I found was uh, moved along quite nicely. And when you look at that, the thing about Cronenberg for me is when he does violence, he makes you feel it. You know, I don't think he's quite mastered it yet here, but there are moments of it. And when. Uh, Rose crashes on the bike and she's trapped underneath the bike. The way she struggles, you know, that's very Cronenberg for me. Yeah. So that that kind of opening scenes and the the operation and so on and her first couple of victims, I, I find that works quite well for me. But it, it starts to drag for me a bit more in the middle. So I, I think we're a bit opposites on that one.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I have to say, as far as the violence goes... I agree with you that it's it, he's nowhere near his peak at this point. Mm-hmm. I personally think that he's... I don't want to say peak because he's still a very viable and interesting director. But for me, when you get to the fly, I think that's yeah. when you're really looking at, at, at... it, Taking it up to a whole other level. But I have to say, I thought that it, the, this film, having not seen it for at least... I mean, it must be six or seven years now since I bought the DVD set. Maybe even longer, I'm not sure. I... I found it to be quite brutal not super gory but I just found it to be quite brutal and uh, there was a feeling in there of absolute hopelessness I mean when we talk about the ending we'll, we'll kind of get to that because I feel like the film the way that it's capped off at the end there I really do get that sense of, of gloominess about the story and where it's going which I think is something that Cronenberg does very well but I have to say uh, I again that yeah, I think we are kind of on uh, at opposite ends as far as that goes. But I do agree with you that it, this is nowhere near as being his best. But th- there is some promise here.
0: Oh, there absolutely is. There absolutely is. Uh, and like I say, it's a good, solid film. But I think what it comes down to for me is the opening stretch of the film. We've got our first couple of kills. And, uh, we, you know, we've got the, uh, the guy who she first sees when she awakes. Then there's the guy who tries to rape her and gets the the kind of thing in his eye and so on you know all good stuff all good stuff i think the problem for me is on that interview we spoke about cronenberg says that in this he's a bit more of an action director mm-hmm. you know it's a city under siege you know this plague is spreading and so on the problem for me is i didn't really feel that escalation now it could be down to budget that you know he couldn't have hundreds of rabid people running around that might be why. When the problem was escalating, I just didn't feel that it was. You know, he had a scene where there were people queuing up uh, for some reason. There were soldiers going around, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But it it never felt city-wide for me. It never felt like a, an epidemic. I just don't think that escalation was there.
1: Oh, Tom, we're not going to agree on anything as far as this one goes, because I I've, I've very much felt that sense of escalation I thought that it that where it from where it began to where it finished excluding sort of the last shot because it, it's a different sort of thing but I I thought that it it descended into chaos as you went along uh obviously you didn't you didn't feel that way and it's okay to be wrong but um <laughs> but uh no, no response to that no response to you being wrong
0: makes if it works for you it works for you and that's fine but... Mm-hmm. I just don't think that scale was there. It feels like there was only money to do so much, and they tried to make it look bigger than it actually was, but when there was that line up uh, around that building and there was army guys there, it felt like they cordoned off a couple of blocks. It didn't feel like this was happen- happening everywhere.
1: Sure, I mean, I, I can agree with you on that, but then I also think about the fact that it was, like you were saying, that he didn't have a lot of money to play with, and at the end of the day... I wasn't expecting, as, as much as I, w- I would have liked it to have felt bigger in scale. I do feel like at the end of the day, this was only his. I mean, he'd been making movies long before this, really, but this was only his second horror movie, really pushing himself into the industry and making a name for himself and becoming somewhat notable. And I do feel like, you know, certainly it's absolutely fine to feel that there's no sense of escalation there. I do feel like he, he I do feel like he needs, he should be forgiven. At least a little bit for not quite not having enough money to be able to afford to have sort of big riots going on in the streets, but certainly I think that if that had, had been happening, that would have made it feel bigger and perhaps make the, the chaos feel more alive. So I, I agree with you on that.
0: Good, good. Well, I'm glad you agree on something. Let's talk about uh, <laughs> our, our leading lady then.
1: The film is very notable for featuring porn star Marilyn Chambers as the main character, Rose. Uh, this was her first and only legitimate film role. Now that's according to Cronenberg on the documentary. I think she made a couple of movies that weren't porn related so I'm not sure he's right about that. You know, there are probably people listening to this who are wanking off as we speak so I don't want to speak ill of them Tom.
0: There's probably people recording this who are wanking off as we speak. So.
1: Absolutely yeah you could hear that. Uh, that's what all that squelching is in the background Tom. Uh, yes okay so despite not wanting to insult fans of porn and label the things they like as illegitimate, uh, I do feel that this is probably her only legit film role, if you know what I mean, as Mm. as a piece of cinema. Uh, Cronenberg was quite surprised to find out that rather than capitalise on her potential as an actress, she sort of went straight back into porn after this and continued in the industry for decades after him. But before I discuss her, I should say that she did pass away in 2009 from a cerebral hemorrhage and an aneurysm related to heart disease. So that's sad. She went. She went. You know, quite away before her time. As far as what she's like in the movie, I, I think she she's she's competent. Mm. You, I think you can tell in a few spots that she's she's unsure of herself.
0: She has a very girl-next-door quality about her, which is yeah. ironic considering what kind of film she's normally in. But I certainly wouldn't say she's any worse than a Farrah Fawcett or something like that of the time. Mm-hmm. You know, beautiful girl, can act, probably isn't going to win any awards, but you'll happily sit and watch her.
1: Yeah, I sort of think that some of her reactions to what's happening what's happening inside her as well because she's quite fitful at at various points in the movie i I feel that her reactions are are quite good when she when she has dialogue to say i think you can tell in some spots in the movie that it's that it's not quite right that there's Mm. there's a certain Texture that's missing from that that you and and if you compare I know it's a it's a strange comparison to have to make but if you compare it to somebody like Michael Ironside from Scanners which we're going to talk about later there's a kind of texture to an actor who's good and I mm. feel like she she doesn't have that having said that I do think there was potential there and I'm quite surprised I mean I guess there's a lot of money in porn and perhaps she felt that well look at the end of the day a very small horror movie by a director that hardly anybody knows at that time, perhaps I shouldn't sort of hedge my bets on that and hit, you know, hinge everything I do for the rest of my career on, on a, on a dream that might not come true when I can stay in porn and make a lot of money. So maybe that's the reason it it never quite happened for her, but she, I thought she was, she was fine. You talk about that,
0: that texture that an actor has or hasn't got and i agree that she didn't particularly have it but i think her as a person does have a quality a sweetness if you will that makes me like watching her and purely for research purposes i have looked at some of her other way mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. yeah after after i watched this and it makes me a bit sad to be honest you know um because she she worked in porn for a while and then she retired, but I think probably for financial reasons, she came back to it in her late 40s, um, maybe early 50s. And I watched that, and it's it's quite heartbreaking to watch it because obviously she's an older woman now, and that's fine. But, you know, I just felt kind of sorry for her.
1: You dirty bleeder. You should be ashamed of yourself, boy, <laughs> I tell you. I do agree with you, though, that she seemed to... She passed away way too young. I don't, to be honest with you, I, I should have noted down. I don't know at what age she passed away, but it, but it was, it was too early.
0: It was in her fifties,
1: right? So yeah, so far too early. You know, still a babe as far as I'm concerned, age-wise. And and a, may I say also a very beautiful girl. I didn't do the research, guys, because I'm a wholesome young man. But uh, Tom took up the mantle for that, and uh, as I understand it, mate, uh, her most famous film, uh, Behind the Green Door, you own three very sticky copies of that, don't you? Sp- can I just say something, guys? This is between you and me, the, the listener, not not me and Tom. He's not listening at the moment. Uh, Tom Elliott, Spunk Like Glue.
0: Sorry, did you just say something?
1: No, no, just looking over there. Waiting for you, mate. So what
0: about the overall kind of, I don't know, you know, Cronenberg just doesn't make a film, he... He's always saying something isn't he? I mean what's he saying with this little vampiric armpit vagina? I mean what do you what do you think he's saying <laughs> with
1: that? I think there's there's a lot of I think it sort of subtly tackles the the AIDS epidemic which was rampant at the time. I think there's a lot of that in there. I think there's there's a lot about I think there's he covers a lot of ground throughout his career. I think early on a lot of it was about sex. About the idea of sex, I think he had a fascination with sex, with the body, the way the body responds, uh, you know, in the midst of an orgasm or when you're having sex, or you know, the phallic nature of sex and you know orifices and all these different. Things. I think all of these things are, are covered by Cronenberg as you go along. I think here it, it's quite interesting that he chose to make the orifice basically a vagina. I think he's saying a lot, but I think he says it. He says a lot and a lot of very intelligent things in the guise of what is essentially a B-movie. Yeah, I mean, I'm not
0: a huge subtext guy. Sometimes I can see it, sometimes I can't. It's interesting in that uh, that interview he gave that he talks about the subtext getting away with him, kind of. Sometimes you make something and you want it to say one thing, but it ends up saying another. And he was talking about something, because it's a Canadian film, he is a Canadian, mm-hmm. Uh, it was made in Montreal. Something called the FLQ crisis. I don't know what that is. I haven't had time to look it up. No. Um, But something happened anyway where the army was on the streets. in. Uh, oh, I think it was something to do with Quebec or Montreal trying to get its independence from the rest of Canada right. or something like that. And things broke down. And there was troops on the streets, that sort of thing. And he said that's what he was going for. And I guess good art does this you know it can say a lot of things sometimes it doesn't necessarily start out meaning to say them but it can work on a lot of levels
1: I I really think that that's what David Cronenberg does best so anyway mate what are your thoughts on Frank Moore who uh, played Hart Reed Rose's boyfriend he's basically the the male lead in the film if you like he
0: has a familiar face I must have seen him in something else before but I can't quite place him yeah he's okay you know I, I don't think he's particularly great i yeah i can't really say much about him to be honest he uh he's there but i don't think he's that pivotal to the whole thing
1: yeah i have to say that i think you have been a bit kinder towards him than i would be i thought that through most of this he looked half asleep i didn't think that he contributed very much to it in a it's almost as if he's supposed to be like I was saying that the male lead in the movie, but really I find that his story, it exists alongside what's going on with Rose. I never really feel like the two intersect until right near the end. Even then, the only time he really emotes is in sort of the final scene. we well, not really the final scene, but right near the end where he confronts Rose, who's killed her best friend in, in her apartment. And mm. uh, he comes in there and he starts shouting at her. And then Rose ends up locking herself in. And we are going to, offer spoilers here by the way guys i probably should have mentioned that but this film is like 30 years old so i feel we could we can do it um legitimately but but yeah basically hart tells her that she is the reason for this epidemic she's the one who caused it he, he works that out fairly quickly after seeing her and she ends up locking herself in with somebody that she has um attacked basically that person ends up waking up and attacks her and kills her. And while that's going on, she's on the phone with with Hart and we can hear him in histrionics. And I feel like that's really, towards the end of the film, the only time that he emotes. I wasn't that sold on him. I have to say, echoing something that I will probably say about the lead actor in Scanners, I feel like there's not a lot of charisma there.
0: And the one time he did need to emote, it almost seemed a bit over the top, where he... Smash the phone up and stuff. And I'm sure yeah. that was in the script as well, but you know, he, he did just sort of totally lose it in a not particularly convincing way. So yeah, I'll I'll agree with you on that one.
1: Yeah, but that when he does that at the end, I thought that was that's a moment where Cronenberg needs to come in and say, Look, you need to rein it in. I also have to say, for Hart Reed, for the for the character himself, if you're gonna be driving on a motorcycle with your girlfriend on the back and there's a huge caravan that can quite obviously be seen from quite a large distance away i mean it, it it's not as if it snuck up on them it was a straight road and when they're driving towards the car because the way that the motorcycle accident actually happens if you've any out, out there you haven't seen the movie the motorbike basically there's a, there's a caravan that's that's broken down with a guy with a tremendous moustache almost as good as as the, uh, the guy who used to be the mascot on our Strange and Deadly Twitter account, Tom. <laughs>
0: Surely not. Do
1: you reckon it's him?
0: <laughs> it could be. It
1: could be, couldn't it? That's where he ended up. But, so, the caravan, it turns around in the road, so it's basically blocking the road, and Hart and Rose, are, they're on the motorbike, and they crash, they sort of, they don't really crash into the caravan, but they end up sort of going up a ramp, and, you know, off the motorcycle goes, and it ends up on top of Rose. And, I do think that you're a bit negligent, mate. You should be—he's looking at his dick when he's running. You should be looking at the road. I'm very upset with this man.
0: So, final thoughts on rabid Do you recommend it?
1: I do. I—I I, I don't think that it's—it's it's anywhere near his best work. I think that would—that's—that's that's to come. But I have to say, I think it's a—it's a solid watch. I would recommend actually because it's available on DVD. You can buy it separately. I think it's about five or six quid on Amazon. Or you can get it as part of a double pack with Shivers. Now, Shivers is also available on Blu-ray. So, you know, you know pick your poison there. But I, I would recommend maybe grabbing the double pack with Shivers, and you've got two nice, sort of early Cronenberg classics, if you like. I mean, I don't personally think Rabbit is a classic as such, but I think there's some there's some good stuff in there. I just like to, to see the progression of a, of a really good director. Somebody, so where they begin, and then where they end up later. And I feel like if you watch Rabbit, even though it, it's rough around the edges, it's spiky, we both disagree in terms of the amount of energy that's in there, but certainly it, it's it, it's missing some of the, the best qualities of some of his better work. I still think that you can see there are sort of threads of the Cronenberg that we would come to see later on. And for that, it's, it's worth a watch.
0: I can't really add anything to that, to be honest. You're right, it's uh, on an academic level, Seeing Cronenberg build up his uh, his vocabulary, it's definitely worth a watch, and it's it's enjoyable, solid film. Will I watch it again? It's more it's more of a channel changer, you know, change the channel. Oh, Rabbit's on. I'll watch it. Then I would actually sit down and put the DVD on again. I think, but no, it's a, it's a good, solid movie, and uh, I'd recommend it as well.
1: Yeah, you will watch it again, mate. I'm gonna knock you the fuck out and uh, tie you to a seat, and then I'm gonna pry your eyelids open with toothpicks and then i'm gonna make you watch it until you agree with my opinion
0: okay so what are we watching next
1: uh so we are moving on to another film here another film a film that i've seen a number of times and you haven't tom so i'm going to look very much forward to your opinion on it but for now let me give you the rundown on this one this is scanners from 1981 again written and directed by david cronenberg he's a prolific man let me give you the plot So, the film opens with a homeless man walking through a shopping mall and picking at bits of leftover food on the tables of a restaurant. He sits down to eat and is observed by two women who are audibly dismissive of him and the way he looks. Soon after, one of the women begins to fall over, seemingly ill. It turns out that the man, who we soon learn is named Cameron Vale, played by Stephen Lack, has telekinetic powers that give him the ability to affect someone else's body and mind. Vale is captured by agents from ConSec, a medical facility that also happens to be conducting research on people just like Cameron. Known as Scanners, there are a number of individuals out in the wild who are able to control people telepathically, but one in particular has ConSec's attention. His name is Daryl Revok played by Michael Ironside, a rogue scanner who wishes to kill the members of CONSEC and build a scanner army. Revok kills a fellow scanner at a conference and is captured, but manages to escape and is officially on the run. Cameron soon learns via information supplied to him by Dr. Paul Ruth, played by Patrick McGuin, a scientist with incredible interest in scanners and their abilities, that he's been brought in and cleaned up so that he might track down Revok and take him out before his destructive abilities claim any more lives. The key to Vale's compliance is a drug named Ephemeral, which can suppress the busy thoughts of a scanner and provides clarity and rest. So, Vale heads out in search of Revok, finding clues and dead bodies as he looks for answers. He meets up with a fellow allied group of scanners led by Kim Obrist, played by Jennifer O'Neill, who lends Vale a more sympathetic ear. Peace does not stay with them for long, however, as it transpires that Revok has been searching for Vale too, and will stop at nothing and spare no one in order to find him. As the two prepare for an almighty clash, Vale searches for answers to who he is, and where the powerful scanners came from.
0: You're 35 years old, Mr. Vale. Why are you such a derelict, such a piece of human junk? The answer's simple. You're a scanner, you don't realise. that has been the source of all your agony. But I will show you now that it can be a source of great power.
1: Now, my friend, like I said before, I've seen this maybe four or five times previously. You never have. Tell me, what did you think of it?
0: I think the thing with scanners is that even if you've never seen it, you know... Of it because of that one famous scene that uh, is actually quite early on in the movie Mm -hmm. which is the head exploding scene isn't it because it's always on best of lists you know scariest moments in film TV shows that sort of thing or what you know whatever you can't not know about the head exploding scene yeah even if you've never seen the film and that, and that was me i was always aware of it and there was there's that box set out for years it's probably still knocking around with the three films in a box set and i always meant to pick it up i probably in fact i probably did own it at one point and then just never got around to watching it and flogged it so i've always meant to get around to it i didn't quite know what it was uh, beyond the head exploding scene and I think what's interesting is that's in pretty much the first act of the movie, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, when the, that guy's head explodes and I was expecting it to be more of uh, you know the climax and I was quite shocked to see them sort of blow their loads quite early on.
1: Yeah, I have to say, and I think you're probably in agreement on this, because you and I, we love our, our head explosions, I think. I don't hmm. mean that in some sort of homosexual way. We are, both you and I are fans of Maniac, the, the yes. classic film. And there's that brilliant scene in there where Tom Savini essentially shoots himself, blows mm-hmm. his own head off with a shotgun, or rather blows his head open. And it's a it's a, an amazing effect. I would say that this perhaps rivals that. I think it's just an amazing effect. I think it, it, it was, and I've actually got a piece of information, it, it was achieved by filling a latex head with dog food and rabbit livers. And the head was then shot from behind with a 12 gauge shotgun. So it's a very practical way of doing an effect. It's one of the reasons why I will always love practical effects. I think you can tell that it's a dummy head, I, you know, but I still think that it's that it's very effective. I have to say, in that particular scene, there's one thing that put me off, which I ne- I've never noticed before. I guess because I'm older now and therefore slightly more observant of things. I have to say, if you watch that scene. It's a scene in which Michael Ironside's character, Revok, he is sitting there next to a guy who's also a scanner. We don't really know anything about that guy. But he picks pick someone from the audience and he's going to demonstrate his scanning abilities on this person. Well, this person turns out to be Revok, who up to that point, we don't know that he, he is the villain. And he somehow finds a way to duel with him and he makes this guy's head explode. When you watch the head explosion, there is blood... And flesh, brains everywhere. It sort of splays out. It's quite. It's a beautiful shot. But when you look at Michael Ironside in the next shot, there is not a, a speck of blood on him. What's up with that?
0: Maybe he used his psychic ability to keep the blood off him. I don't know.
1: You're a genius. I'm
0: making excuses for the film now. I think
1: it. you are, but I think so. I think that was a bit of an oversight. You're absolutely right, though. You can't not know about scanners. I think if you've done any research into horror, if you if you're getting into it in a, in a even in a moderate fashion, I think you would know. And yeah, certainly that that effect is 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 quite remarkable.
0: I agree. It it does rival the maniac shot. I slightly prefer maniac. I think they pull off the reality of it just slightly better. Yeah. You know, there isn't that split second of oh, it's a dummy. You know. But it doesn't matter. It's still a great shot. And I think that's, that's what you need with a movie like this. Because there's times in the movie where it's just people pulling funny faces at each other. So there always needs to be a payoff, I think. And a lot of the time, they do. There is some sort of uh, money shot, if you like. Otherwise, it is just people pulling faces at each other. But they've sort of used the best one at first and you could say well maybe they should have saved it to later but as a you know up until this point we don't know what's going on well i didn't and bang there it is what a great way to just shock the audience you know
1: it's a pretty visceral introduction isn't it into this particular world and i do think that in a way it it sells the film because i think if you i think, uh, i I'm, i can almost guarantee that that was probably used in a lot of promo and certainly in in some trailers or maybe not they probably couldn't get away with showing the whole thing but but it's a very famous scene i almost think that if you're if you if you look at that scene if you just take it as is as, as a separate entity as an individual thing and you expect the rest of the film to be like that i think you'd be quite disappointed because the rest of it it really veers more into into sci-fi i think yeah. And the horror is kind of reserved, really, for that for that scene, and then again at the end, it comes through a bit of the gore and some and, and there are some really cool effects later on, which we'll probably talk about. But I, mm-hmm. I have to agree with you, they 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 blow their load early, I think.
0: What I like about it is that they just drop you into this world of the scanners, you know, they don't they don't spoon feed you from the get go. This is what a scanner is. This is where we are you just sort of dropped right into the thicker things. And I like that. I like that sort of, uh, it's a very 70s thing to do. These days, you tend to find things are a bit more straightforward. Um, but I, I think it did that quite well. It just drops you into that world and then gives you bits of information to clarify where we are and what we're doing.
1: A lot of modern horror movies, and especially remakes, there is this This feeling that the the creators, the directors, the writers, they they want to demystify the story, demystify the killer. So, for example, not to get into a big rant about this because you'll have me going for days, but taking like uh, the Rob Zombie Halloween remake, for example, and giving Michael Myers a reason for why he is what he is, I feel Mm. like... Yeah, it's a different kind of movie, of course, but what, what I mean by that is there is this feeling that we have to explain the origin behind things. And I do feel like, certainly, Rabid did it to some extent, and also I feel like with this one, it, it, you're not spoon-fed everything from the get-go. And by doing it that way, I feel like just drip-feeding a little bit of information here and there, and you sort of put it together in your brain, in the same way that you would something like Inception, for example, the, the Christopher Nolan movie, where Christopher Nolan... Again, very very different kind of movie. I don't mean to, to sort of compare it to that, but it, it's he's the kind of director who, when he made that movie. His his goal with it was to say, okay, well look, at the end of the day, I feel that you are a lot smarter than Hollywood gives you credit for. Therefore, I will put these pieces together, and they're fairly easy to assemble, but they're they're in a in a in an order that perhaps is not so easy to work out, but. I will leave it with you, and I feel quite confident that you'll be able to work it out and build up your own picture. And I, 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 appreciate, I appreciate when a director doesn't treat me like a fool. So we've got that very famous scene that we, we spoke about that we like, which is the exploding head. They capture Revok, who, as it turns out, is going to be the villain of this movie. And we're then left with... Cameron Vale, played by Stephen Lack. Now, first of all, how did you feel about Stephen Lack as an actor?
0: I think I know where you're going to go with this, mm-hmm. because he is very similar to the chap in the uh, isn't he? I, I think the reason why they probably chose him is he has got quite distinctive eyes. I agree. You know, the, there's a certain look about his eyes that, that they probably think are, are guy who's using psychic abilities should have, maybe his the rest of his presence doesn't quite uh match up.
1: Yeah, I think he's got quite a distinctive look, but I, I don't feel like there's there's very much else that that's there. I think there's a lot there's a whole lot of nothing coming from him. Now I have to say, maybe this is un it's unfair to compare him to these actors, but when you consider that David Cronenberg in the eighties would go on to work with James Woods, uh, Christopher Walken Jeff Goldblum, Jeremy Irons in, in Dead Ringers. These are all actors who I feel are, are, have got a charismatic, I feel they can carry a movie very well. And I think Stephen Lack. It, it's probably, I mean, if you look at his IMDb credits, there's not a, a tremendous amount of work there. So I would guess that acting is probably was probably not a major passion for him. Whereas those actors that I listed are very much actors' actors. I also think that in this movie, he's out-acted by Michael Ironside. Who I've always liked.
0: I always love Michael Ironside as well. Whatever he can make a watchable, you know, he's watchable even in some of the crap movies he's in. But you you mentioned Walken there. Could you imagine Christopher Walken in this role? He would have killed it. He
1: would, wouldn't he? Because there's a sort, there's a weird kind of alien quality to, to Christopher Walken that I I think would have been just as effective. But he's got that little that extra oomph to him that I think Stephen Lack. Lacks. Hey. hey, come on boy but yeah no i i was not that fond of him i don't mean to be look i mean i i i really like both of these movies and it's i guess i'm, I'm giving it away i'm i'm a fan of scanners i do like the movie a lot and so i i'm yeah i'll try not to be too too harsh towards the film and i try not, not to be too harsh towards Stephen lack to be honest but i i don't feel that much like Frank Moore I don't feel that these are are great actors and I feel like Cronenberg would go on to work with actors who were much better later on and I feel like that needs to be said but I don't feel it takes away too much from the movie I
0: I can still uh, enjoy the movie I think something I noticed quite early on as well it's uh, it's all like 30 40 year old guys you know there's no sort of youthful people Mm. in it with interesting faces I mean it's I don't know about you, but I'm a huge fan of The Prisoner, the TV show. I absolutely love Patrick McGowan. Um, I've
1: never seen it, mate, to be honest with you. You've never seen no, The Prisoner? No, I haven't. I've always wanted to see it.
0: For anyone who hasn't seen it, out it's a great British TV show. Very quirky, very um, very unique for its time. I think Patrick McGowan was the best Bond we never had, to be honest. Mm-hmm. He, he was Daniel Craig for, you know, the the kind of 60s, if you like. He There was always talk of him playing Bond, I think, uh, back in those days, replacing Sean Connery. But it, it never came to pass. But he did, in his way, play Bond-type characters in a TV show called Danger Man. Right. And then he went on to do The Prisoner. He made a good hard case, very... Very smart as well, though, and uh, he carries a lot of weight for me in roles, and I think he does in this, and, you know, he's dead now. I don't know how old he was when he died, but, uh, you know, I think he lived to a good age, but it's a shame he's not around, because I think, you know, the parts that Anthony Hopkins plays nowadays, Patrick McGoon would also have been really good in as well. I mean, are you familiar with him for anything other than this?
1: I believe so i have to be honest it, it, it's probably nothing i could name i think he's one of mm. those actors who i've seen in things but I, I certainly do not have anywhere near the amount of knowledge that you do about him i can only tell you that as a as a fan of this movie and probably th- this being the most major role i've seen him in which i'm sure is a crime to people who love the, the prisoner but i have to say that i i think he he's a real authority on this isn't he he's, he's sort of he's part of the old guard and i think he. I think there's a lot of charm there is the sort of, you know, that that scientist character, but with a bit of depth to him.
0: I think when he's on screen, he owns it. You know that meeting earlier on where they're kind of discussing their Scanners program and what they're going to do. And he's just very calm and laid back, just saying what he thinks. But he, he still just owns the room.
1: Yeah, tremendous amount of presence, I think.
0: So we've kind of established ourselves now we know who the scanners are we know what they can do to a degree but the movie still surprises us every now and again with different sorts of facets of their powers but we'll get to that in a bit we've then got this uh it's kind of like a Cameron veil vale trying to find revik and he's going through the motions if you like uh, going to from place to place, from person to person.
1: They send Cameron Vale out basically as an assassin mm. to to take Revok out. And I feel that I mean I I really like Scanners. I do feel like it sags, the pace drops down a bit. See for me, I know you don't, you don't agree with me about Rabbit. I feel like Rabbit once it gets going, I I personally felt that the energy levels was was relatively consistent. I feel like Scanners, it peaks and then it ebbs. It peaks and it ebbs and. And I I do think that the middle section of it, I I would have liked to have seen it maybe cut down a little bit, moved along a bit, you know, just have it move along more swiftly, I think.
0: Yeah, there's a a lot of uh, Cameron Vale just going from place to place, talking to sort of drab people in drab places. And I think he tries to pepper kind of scenes of him using his ability throughout. That's something else I wanted to bring up as well. Cameron Vale when we find him he's, he's a very lost character he doesn't know particularly who he is or what his powers mean but he seems to master them pretty damn quickly doesn't he
1: yeah it's, it's not a natural progression is it it's sort of he's there for for not a not a very long period of time and suddenly he's able to control them when he really couldn't before yeah maybe that that was not not very well developed, I think.
0: We needed a montage, a mind training montage. We, that we did, didn't
1: we, it. with a cod piece in there? Yeah, because I, I like cod pieces, really. It's nothing set, nothing sexual about it, Tom. So you don't have to accuse me of things.
0: This is what I find quite interesting about it as well. They they do kind of blow the money shot early on, but we do see different aspects of their powers throughout the film. You know, they can read people's minds. They can sort of move people, or you know. Uh, Blast them out of the way, if need be. Uh, There's a good one later on where he... The the female scanner, I think her name was Kim, was it? Yes. Uh, She makes one of the security guards think that she's his mother. And, you know, that has an effect on him, that sort of thing. So he does use it in quite interesting ways. I think you could probably if he made it today he would probably take that to a much further degree there are there are some interesting things in there
1: during that period of the film like we said earlier when we were talking about the head explosion if you're expecting the film to be like that it really isn't there's really only some some gore gore effects going on at the beginning there and then some at the end but for the rest of it it sort of veers into being a sci-fi thriller and we get to see how the powers manifest themselves i do think that perhaps the display of the powers and what they can actually do is slightly uneven and like we said i think that Vale is able to master his powers a bit too quickly for my liking but i do like the fact that i don't think cronenberg is the sort of director who ever wants to make quote unquote a gore movie i don't think that's his his scene I think that what he likes to do is is emphasize certain moments with something that is is that makes you very uncomfortable to watch. And I feel like the middle section of the film, as we move on towards the ending, is very much about, OK, we've gotten that out of the way, I've disgusted you at the beginning, now let me settle things down and let me actually develop the plot to some degree. That's what I feel like that midsection really does, incorporating... The, the powers in there, what they actually do, and then we d- discover more about the plot, discover exactly what's happening. There's this program called Ripe, which is this this secret sort of operation that's going on. That is, there's an in there's an insider at CONSEC, and we discover it to be a particular character. He's revealed quite early on, actually. I think you know he's a, he's a dodgy guy. There's this Ripe program that's going on. Towards the the sort of back end of the film, as we're getting towards the finale of it, we get kind of what we've been waiting for, really, which is the the duel, the, the final confrontation between Vale and Revok. And we, we get some revelations there. We discover from Revok that Vale is actually his brother. Which, How did you feel about that twist?
0: I'll be honest, the way it was delivered where Revok's like, I'm your brother and Dr. Ruth was our father. And I expect them to say Kim was the sister or something, you know, it <laughs> yeah, was yeah. just a bit like, you know, bang, 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 bang. But Okay, no, it's fine. It it's uh it makes sense. I guess, I guess it might be that these days it's a bit of a cliche, isn't it?
1: Do you know what, mate? I think that the Empire Strikes Back has ruined it for everybody. I think yeah. I think that revelation, you know, of course, Luke, I am your father. I feel like that is. I don't think you can get away with it now
0: because of that. That immediately sprung to mind. So it was like, what? Okay, but I'll, I'll forgive them it because. It's, it's fine, and I, I actually liked seeing them sit down and have this conversation. It's it's a very kind of... Uh, when you have two people of the same ability with different ideologies, I think it makes for great drama. It's Professor X and Magneto. They're different sides of the same coin, and I, and I like that. I like that kind of thing.
1: Well, there's a really interesting moment, actually, Before kind of before we, we get to the ending there, which is when... Uh, Kim is sitting uh, in a in a sort of office, and there's a pregnant woman that's opposite her. And the pregnant woman, Kim be- begins to experience strange sensations. Her nose starts bleeding, which is a is a sign that you might be being scanned by somebody. And mm. it's I thought it was quite an interesting revelation that as it turns out, it wasn't the pregnant woman who was scanning her. It was actually her unborn baby. And this, yeah. and the reason I bring that up and sort of going back is to feed back into the ending, where Revok actually explains why he's so against ConSec. We discover that the drug, ephemeral, is actually being given to pregnant women. And this is how scanners are made. This is how they're created. They are in- injected with this drug and their babies are born with the power of a scanner. And that is how they're created, in in a similar way. That is how uh, Vale and Revit came to be uh, created. And their father is Dr. Ruth. Like
0: a lot of things in this film, it's it's something... Maybe it's to its credit, actually, that they don't explain everything or explore everything. But, you know, a, a fetus as a scanner, I mean, it must sit there doing this all day because it doesn't know what it's doing, does it? It's just sort of there... It's got this aspect to it, and uh, it, it's using it. So, yeah, very interesting moment.
1: In a way, it's going back to the body horror thing, but instead of it it being some sort of corruption of flesh, it's something inside. It's an internal issue that's projecting outwards. And to me, that that is sort of symptomatic, and I mean that in a good way of of the kind of thing that Cronenberg that does. I, I have to ask you, mate, uh, for me personally, there are, I have issues with the film. I keep mentioning it all the time, but going back, of course, I love the head explosion. This film has one of my favourite endings on it, or not necessarily the ending itself, but perhaps the final confrontation between the two of them. It's one of my favourite favourite battles, if you like.
0: We, we do find out a lot in that meeting, you know, they sit down and they have this talk and we find out that everyone's everyone's father, and then... They have this conversation and it makes Dr. Ruth sound like not particularly the good guy who we thought he was.
1: Well he goes a bit mad, doesn't he, towards the end, which I, I again sorry to backtrack so much, but I never really understood what happened to him at the end. Like he he lost he lost it, didn't he, a bit there?
0: He did. I I was wondering, mm. is he a scanner as well or or what i i don't quite know to be honest i don't know either but the way that revick describes everything he's he's not necessarily a good guy in the way he's conducted himself and he's let cameron vale sort of wander for years aimlessly until he needed him and then he pulled him out so I like the way that it sort of pulls the rug out from under you in that respect. But then, yeah, we have this this battle. Like I said earlier, sometimes it seems like it's just people pulling faces at each other. They, uh, you know, this is something else entirely.
1: Yeah, this is it, guys. If you've been waiting through the duration of this movie, you saw what you liked at the beginning where it was quite extreme. If you're a gore hound i think this is going to satisfy you because what happens is veil vale and revik they have this mind battle and like you were saying making funny faces but this time there is a there's there's something really tangible about this almost immediately veins start popping out and i mean well i don't mean popping out of the skin but I mean, veins start pushing up against the skin. I think it's a, I think it's a really cool effect.
0: Quite flawless. I don't, I didn't see the joints. Maybe I wasn't looking close enough. I don't know, but I was happy to go with it anyway. And just when you think uh, you've seen what this battle is, sort of where it's going, they just keep ramping it up.
1: Yeah, I, mean, it, I have to say, it looks painful. It's not mm. something mean, because you have the, the veins popping out. And then Vale has, has essentially been our hero through through the film. And he's started to come apart at the seams. Uh, and you can see it happening in front of you. The veins, his skin starts bleeding and coming apart and falling off. His face is falling apart. So they're having this battle. You can tell that Revok is enormously strong mentally. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But Vale has... And, and Revok is, is affected as well. There are veins coming out of him. but But... Vale is the one who is looking the worst for where i have to say he's looking bad there's a hole that's developing in his heart you can see it sort of fizzing through and then Vale, he somehow finds the strength and he just becomes unbelievably powerful he his hands be- begin to uh, become a flame his mm-hmm. body sets on fire and his eyes explode which is one of my favorite effects in the movie just because it's it's very simple but if you thought that Vale would make it out of this alive you were wrong because in order to to if if, in order to neutralize revok he basically has to sacrifice his body and it it, i just thought the the way they ramped it up and the quality of the effects in many ways it makes me wish that there'd perhaps been a bit more of that peppered through the movie but at the same time because you've been waiting for it for so long i i still think having seen it i guess like maybe my fifth or sixth time now i still think it's it's just super effective it is it's
0: a great way to end it and then of course we get that revelation that actually veil won he sacrificed himself to do it his bodily self but he's transferred his consciousness you know which is another facet of their powers i guess
1: it is now i have to say and i'm interested in whether you agree or disagree with me and this is one of this is something that I feel quite strongly about. I think that that was a cop out at the end. I, I feel like I feel like it was the kind of battle where they both needed to die. And I, I, uh, I was never that happy. That his consciousness, his mind, was transferred into Revick's body.
0: I can't say I felt that strongly, to be honest. I, I just took it for what it was. Um, but it's interesting to hear you hear you say
1: that. It's just the way I feel about it. Again, it, it it's not it's not a big deal. It's something that's quite minor to me. But it was just not something that, not something that I was ever particularly comfortable with. Do you have any more thoughts on the movie?
0: It's funny. I uh, I, I watched it today and I enjoyed it. Don't get me wrong. But it's one of those films that. Once you've watched it and you have time to kind of uh, get your thoughts together and having this conversation as well has helped me sort of solidify that in my mind that I actually like it more than I probably did when I just finished watching it, you know, once a few things settle in in your head and I didn't think I'd watch it again. But now I think, well, actually, I probably will maybe think is quite sad is there's there's two other films out that Cronenberg didn't have anything to do with but I think it it's quite a rich mythology there and I'm not quite sure whether those sequel I obviously haven't watched them because I'd only seen the first one today I'm not sure whether those sequels really lived up to it
1: I bought the the box set you were talking about that was around a while ago the with Scanner's 1 2 and 3 in it I have them yeah. I have the box set I have to say that yeah, so like you were saying, there were two direct sequels, which is Scanners Two, The New Order, and uh, Scanners Three, The Takeover. Now, neither of those films carried the characters from the original over, but they did carry the story over, the the ephemeral and 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 so on and so forth. I have to say, I don't think they're particularly good there I, I i can't remember that much about them but i remember there were a couple of nice gore effects in there but i feel like mm. they didn't have Cro- david cronenberg's involvement there, there were also there was a spin-off series called scanner cop and there were two films in that series i think with was scanner cop and scanners the showdown and wow it, yeah so there it, it was a, a franchise if you like but i think the original is is far superior to anything that that came after it. i know you hadn't seen them so i just wanted to sort of jump in and say that yeah i have seen them and and like you say there was there's potential there for a rich mythology i don't feel like it was it was carried forward in in a, a particularly a particularly good way. Well,
0: that's a shame because i think if cronenberg had kept hold of it and it developed with him as a filmmaker we would probably have seen him take this to some very interesting places.
1: Probably so, but then also I don't believe David Cronenberg has ever made a sequel to one of his own movies. So it would it would be interesting. I don't I don't think he's the kind of guy who particularly likes to revisit something. I think he puts the story out there and then moves on. But I'm not mm. positive about that. Do you know if he's ever made a sequel?
0: Not that I can recall. But he's done a remake, so, you know. But mm. I don't know. Anyway, sorry. Final thoughts for you then, mate.
1: Yeah, I, I think I, I... Look, I... I've seen the movie a whole bunch of times over the years. It's not one that I would watch every year. I I mm-hmm. think it's it's you've got to be in the right mood for it. But I do think that it's a solid film. I think in the 4 years since Rabbit because that was 1977 this is 1981 that Scanners was made. I feel like in those 4 years I think you can still tell that it's the same filmmaker that made Rabbit because even at this point he's got more money to play with. It's it's a little bit bigger in scope, but I still feel like it's it's relatively grounded. It, it really wasn't until I mean this was his most successful movie until The Fly in 1986, and by then I feel like his work has really become expansive, not not only in the directing on the directing side of things and the acting side of things, but also on the writing side of things. And uh, but I feel that this is a it's still a really solid film. I think. If you paired these two together, Rabbit and Scanners, and you watch them one after the other, I think you can see that there is a a through line there of a, of a really smart filmmaker who probably is still not absolutely firing on all cylinders. I think once you get to you know sort of Videodrome and and like I said, The Fly, and uh, even going back to The Brood, to be honest with you, there's there's a whole bunch of stuff there that I think is that holds together a bit better. But there's some really cool stuff in this. There's some there's a couple of nice gore effects in there. But it, it, it settles down in the middle. I think that might be the thing that puts some people off. There's better work to be found in, in his filmography. But it's I, st- I really enjoy it. Yeah, yeah,
0: it's a thumbs up from me. Or a, whatever art equivalent of a thumbs up is. Mm. I don't know. It is that. So, yeah,
1: yes. Absolutely.
0: I'm happy with Scanners.
1: Yeah, and just to let you know that it is available on Blu-ray. You can get a Blu-ray release of it. And it's also part of the Scanners collection, which I did have a look on Amazon. I think that collection is still available. But I'm not... I didn't take a note down of what the price of it is, but I mean, I I personally, if you have a choice, I would just get the first one, and not mm. worry about the other two, unless you happen to find it in a in a in a shop somewhere. If, if they even sell DVDs in shops anymore, I don't know. Uh, if you can find it somewhere in a bargain bin, grab it and maybe watch the other two, or even the. Uh, well, I guess there are five in total, but um, yeah, it it but it's on its own buy it on blu-ray or dvd i think you'll enjoy it
0: so i think that's us in terms of our reviews this uh, this show i hope you've enjoyed it but we've got a couple of emails to read right
1: yes that's right we have an email from your old friend a person you used to Uh, Work with quite a lot on your podcast, The Gentleman's Grindhouse. He was your co-host, Mister Matt Hood.
0: That's right. He's the guy who I first took the plunge with into this uh, this whole podcast and thing. We did it together, and we, you know, we had a good time. I really enjoyed putting that podcast together with Matt, and uh, you know, I miss those days. And now I'm stuck with you.
1: That's fine. That that's fine, Tom. You know, I think one day you will come to regret that opinion because. I feel that you're probably right. I'm, I'm so sorry, Tom, that I'm uh, I'm not as good as him. I heard that he it's was okay. a, a captain on a boat nowadays, and uh, I'm just a lowly guy on the streets who sucks dick for a living.
0: So Matt says, Hey Tom and Chris, just thought I would send you a little message to wish you good luck with the new podcast. I'm really looking forward to listening to you guys and finding out what terrible treasures you have in store for us listeners may the airwaves stay strange and deadly for a long time to come and may all your screams come true your good friend matt the pun master thanks matt i appreciate that and i hope we hear from you again get some feedback from you get your thoughts you and tanya always welcome to send feedback in appreciate it
1: absolutely thanks a lot matt and uh, you were wondering what terrible treasures we have in store for you uh it's a butt plug and a dream
0: so you've got an email to read. Now as hang well, Chris, on a right? minute,
1: because I've also got a slow your roll there, buddy. I've got an email. I got an email from Matt as well, and it was a personal email directed to me. It was nothing to do with you, and it says in the email, uh, I hope Matt's okay with me reading this. It doesn't mention anything about, you know, his his knob or anything, but it says, Hey Chris, you have no need to worry, man. If Tom had given me a say in who stepped up for this cast, your name would have been the only one on my list. You guys are going to rock. You see, Tom, he believes in me. As for there being any worries about daftness, I like daft. If anything, I would have been dafter myself had I been more confident. You've got this. I know it. Matt. Matt, thank you so much. That I cannot possibly tell you how much that means to me to hear that from your good self. And I do feel like most of the people who liked you are going to hate me, but that's okay because I feel like uh, hatred is good fuel. And ultimately, I feel happy. I feel honoured to have been to carry on from your good self, and we'll be thinking of you as we go forward. Now, before you move on, my friend, I also have a very brief bit of feedback here from our good friend Rachel also known as Lips Tattoo, and Gore Kensington on Twitter. She has, uh, more recently this year certainly, due to the very tragic death of Rick Mail. who was a, a massive hero of mine, uh, certainly a, a massive hero of hers as well, she has sort of taken it upon herself to, to really pay tribute to him, organising a, a Rick Mail tribute night and... And she's been a really good friend to us over the years. So she sent us a, a, a just a little bit of feedback here. She says, Hey guys, good luck in your new endeavour. Looking forward to listening to you discuss Cronenberg. But how about talking about Stella Archois and Beamish too? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Have a great show, Rachel. So I believe, Tom, that is all the feedback we've got at the moment. I think it will start trickling in more when we actually you know put the episodes out. But uh, for now... We have uh, just a little bit more information to give you, and then we're going to be out of here, much to your relief, I'm sure. Uh, our contact information, if you want to find us on the interwebs, you can do so at www.strangeanddeadly.com. Tom, where are you at?
0: Me, I'm at Twitter slash Grandhouse Tom. How about you?
1: I'm at twitter.com forward slash the gore boy, and you can also find our Twitter account, which we forgot to give you last time, I think. Our Twitter account is Twitter dot com forward slash strange deadly no and in the middle it's just strange deadly you can go on there the moustached man the man of my dreams has been replaced by a, a red skull and by the time you 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 pop on there you'll see our new artwork which is looking mighty fine indeed and we have to thank mr dark ink for that he's the darkest of inks and uh he has made us some lovely artwork thank you very much sir i will miss the moustache guy though what was his name i think it was moustache guy are you sure his name wasn't barry
0: as time goes on we will um every show's got like its facebook page and so on we'll be building these things up as we go along you know the website's a little sparse at the moment but it's early days just listen to the show and uh hope you enjoy it and we will we'll build these things up as we go
1: we absolutely will and tom wait stop the presses even though you're we're not printing a newspaper stop them we forgot to give the email address for feedback. If you wanna email us, give us feedback, compliments, tell me how great I am, tell me how mediocre Tom's performance is. It's perfectly understandable. Uh, I feel that way too. But uh, email us the feedback at feedback at strangeanddeadly.com that's feedback at strangeanddeadly.com and you don't just have to say nice things about us you can also talk about the movies you can tell us what you think of them we always try to announce them ahead of time and speaking of that for our next episode do you want to tell them what we've got plan for them tom
0: so to continue with our double bill theme we've got a couple of uh, slashes this time round that uh, are thematically similar so we're going with final exam and graduation day and uh, it's a good time for graduation day actually because there's a new blu-ray in the uk from 88 films that's just come out and uh, so maybe if you've picked that up and you've seen it, then uh, send us some feedback in.
1: Yeah, and we've both placed an order for graduation day. I actually already own it on DVD. I got the... Because it was originally distributed, I believe, by Troma. And they didn't make the film, but they distributed it. And I have, I think, a Troma release of it on DVD somewhere. But I thought, well, I'll pick up the Blu-ray version of it anyway. And so we're going to be talking about that. I suppose kind of reviewing the Blu-ray in a way... Listen, guys, just, just to sort of to kind of say what we were saying in the very first episode where we're not being paid for this we're not being paid to cover anything by any companies and ain't nobody sending us anything this is all coming out of our pocket so if we want to be i mean i've heard the release is really good so i'm not worried about it but we'll always be honest but yeah being put out by 88 films they got a bunch of slasher classics also coming out which i actually sent them an e- sent them an email a few days ago asking them if all the films were uncut and they wrote me back and said absolutely so i'm looking forward to watching an uncut graduation day i guess and we've also got final exam which i've never seen i've never seen it either do you know anything about it i believe it takes place on the final day of school when there's an exam happening
0: good that's all i need to know okay so that's been episode two of the strange and deadly show Mm. i hope you've enjoyed it i've enjoyed it and i've enjoyed speaking to you chris
1: well it's great that you've enjoyed speaking to me i've had a moderately interesting time with you as well
0: good okay we will see you next time goodbye
1: goodbye everybody And actually not to spoil how i feel about scanners or about a particular character in spanners but uh, spanners Sp- <laughs> i'll start i'll start that again from where you left off <laughs> just Jen and she sent me a uh, a bracelet as well not a bracelet a what do you call the thing you put around your arms on wristband Wrist brand brand. Wrist brand. band band brand wrist <laughs> Oh, dear. Let me, let me do the whole bloody thing again. What's that? Bracelet? What's wrong with me? Uh, where you get a tribute night for him and uh, she sent me a wristband. Uh, wristband. Wrist, why can't I say the word wristband? <laughs> Fucking hell. God damn. Am I going to have to do that whole thing again? or where do, Is there a good place I can... just
0: Just go. She sent me a wristband.
1: All right. I hope you can find a place to cut it in there. I'll find yeah. it, <laughs> <laughs> All right. and she sent me a wrist brat <laughs> <laughs> <A> bra- <laughs> and she sent me a wrist <laughs> and she sent me a wrist band. <laughs> Let me try this again, and she sent me one of her wrist bands. <laughs> <laughs> I can't say it seriously now i'm not gonna say wristband i'm just gonna say i'm gonna say something else see now i'm gonna laugh no matter what i say that's the problem all right come on boy we've all we've almost done this chris (laughs) Pick yourself up
0: continuing with our theme shows this time we're going with a couple of slashers
1: it's final exam a slasher Let's have a quick look on Wikipedia. Uh, <laughs> let's see. Final Exam. Uh, Final Exam is a 1981 slasher film. Okay. But uh, it the director also wanted to go against the norm with the film and decided to feature very little on-screen graphic violence. Oh,
0: well, that's gonna be great. fun,
1: then, isn't it? Yeah.